Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. Okay, we're in the L section still, but we're in the O part of that L section. So the first one is OpenCLICD, I think. No, OCLICD. That's the actual name of the uh, the package. And OCL stands for OpenCL. ICD is Installable Client Driver. So this is a package that allows you to load in a version of OpenCL and use it on your system. And thanks to ICD, you can have different versions of OpenCL on the same system. And that's important because lots of different places target OpenCL, and and you might well need different versions of it to be uh, possible on your system. Now, if you don't know what OpenCL is, it's it's, it's an open standard. It stands for Open Computing Language, and it's kind of, I think it's spearheaded by the Kronos group, which is also the group that uh, manages and develops Vulkan drivers, which of course used to be OpenGL. So it's 3D graphic types of um, things, but OpenCL specifically is all about parallel computing. It's one of those things that I used to wonder about a lot. And I used to think, why did, like, it, it was back in, like, the, let's call it 2004, let's say. Maybe maybe as late as six, I don't know. But it was, it was around then, and I felt like computing had kind of reached a plateau. And I think, I think I wasn't the only person to think this. Um, not too long ago, prior to me thinking this, BIOS had been developed, for instance, and BIOS famously was using, um, was it, it couldn't have been multi-core CPUs, but I think they had a, a build of BIOS, a machine for BIOS, with multiple CPUs, or something like that. I could be, I could be making this up, but there was definitely talk, because BIOS especially, it was very sort of finely tuned for multimedia stuff, and so I was thinking around 2004, I was wondering why why we we seemed to just be concentrating like all of our computing power onto one CPU and I thought well, I wonder what's keeping us from just throwing another CPU on a motherboard and then having like one CPU dedicated to running the computer and and before I finish all of the, these thoughts I should remind you that in 2004 I still knew nothing about computers like I was I was just you know 2 years later I would be discovering Linux Bef- before that I knew nothing about it I'd the most advanced thing I'd ever done was swap out a CPU in a G4 Mac tower uh there was a third party vendor back in those days that sold parts specifically to um pretty much mod your mac 
And so if you, you know, you could have like a, a G4 tower that had come with a, I forget what they were doing back then. Was it like, I think it was 1.3 gigahertz. Was that, does that sound right? No, 666 megahertz or something like that. It was 777 megahertz, something like that. It was, you know, high, not great. So the, this third party vendor had, they, they sold, they would sell you a GP, a, a, a CPU that was, hundred percent compatible socket type and everything with the with a certain line of computers g3 and g4 towers and you could just buy that cpu and take the old one out and put the new one in of course macs are not built for that so it was non-trivial but it was doable and i did that and that was the most advanced thing i think at that point i had ever done with a computer. So I, I didn't know anything about it, but I knew that CPUs were important. So I thought to myself, why don't we have one CPU that ran the computer and then another CPU that just ran the applications? And that way the CPU wouldn't constantly have have to sort of switch back and forth between those two and share the, you know, it would never have to share its its the load between apps and the OS. And, and that to me at the time made sense. And I, I'm not saying that there's any merit to that whatsoever. Um, I mean, there are computers with more than one physical CPU, so maybe there was some merit to the, the line of thinking, but uh, I don't know how it all works. But, you know, now we've got multi-cores and it just doesn't make it doesn't that that I think we're doing all right. Um, but now, of course, we have rather than like four CPUs in a in a tower, we've got or or in a server, uh, we've got CPU, and then we've got that GPU, the graphics processor unit, and that is essentially another computer inside of your computer. And that's why everyone loves using the GPU. There's this there's all of this processing power for very specific tasks, and so if you can offload tasks onto that GPU, then suddenly you are, you've gained another computer. You, you've got something else happening in your system, uh, happening more or less for free. It's not free, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's not on your CPU. So people love that. And OpenCL is designed to assist with that kind of activity. And it's an open standard. So anyone can, as long as they become, um, I think a, a like a Kronos, um, I forget what the term is for the, for, for the, the, the permission to, to say that you are OpenCL compliant, you register or, or whatever with, with the Kronos group and you follow this specification and now you are OpenCL compliant. If you've ever seen anything about CUDA, C-U-D-A for NVIDIA, OpenCL is, is along the same lines, except OpenCL is the open source implementation of this concept. And so it runs on all platforms and any vendor can can target it. And many vendors do. They, you'll see OpenCL according to Wikipedia, and I don't know where they got this information, uh, but there are citations it looks like, so you could probably find out. But um, like there's companies, big companies like Adobe Photoshop, using OpenCL. There's Autodesk Maya using OpenCL. Houdini, um, Luxrender, I was going to say, but that's actually open source. Um, DaVinci Resolve. Lots of Final Cut Pro. Lots of really big Sony Catalyst, Vegas Pro. I mean, just like the list kind of goes on and on. And it's just kind of, kind of staggering how ubiquitous open computing language is and you have to kind of figure that that's because it's it's really good um, i mean the things that it delivers to people 
is really, really appealing and and an attractive um, prospect. And that that prospect is that you can now sell your uh, your software to people and just require that they have this OpenCL enabled, you know, graphics card, which could be either AMD or NVIDIA. And and now they can they can run your application with all the, the fancy bells and whistles. Um, and, and that's really cool. That's that's hugely important. And I, I was just listening to the non-open ones there. Um, lots of open source technologies are using OpenCL as well. Darktable, GIMP, uh, ImageMagic, um, Blender, of course, LuxRender, FFmpeg, Handbrake, LibAV, OpenCV, uh, X264, X265, Firefox for WebGL, or WebCL, rather, um, and so on. LibreOffice, yeah, just, it, it's, it goes on and on. So, it's a very popular technology. I think that's probably because it is also a good technology. I mean, I really find it hard to believe that, that some of these companies would, would go down that path if if there was no clear benefit to it because i mean we know that a lot of these companies i mean i've just mentioned adobe mac <laughs> davinci um autodesk like these are huge companies that are not at all afraid to just make up their own thing and just make people conform that, and and a lot of those companies have the power to do that. I mean, look at what Adobe has done. I mean, they've completely gone subscription subscription based, and yet you can still find Adobe users today. It's it's amazing, but people the 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 outrage didn't last all that long, as it often doesn't, and people are still using it. So that's OCL ICD. This is the installable client driver. It lets you run OpenCL versions on your system, not worry about which application targets which version. They'll load into your into your system, oblivious of one another, and they'll target that whatever kind of parallel computing capability that 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 application was written to take advantage of. Next up is Oniguruma, and Oniguruma is a regx library bsd licensed you can throw it into your code and just use regx you know you don't realize how nice it is to have regx uh, as an option until it's not there i i was searching for something in some application i don't remember what it was oh, i think it was fire firefox yeah it was a firefox web developer uh tools i was looking to filter down some of the some of the um elements in 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 a page like in in the page source code or 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 the dom or something i don't remember exactly what but i i remember that i was searching for some string and that string appeared in the javascript library name or the function name rather from whatever javascript library library that they were using on the page um and so i was having to go through result after result after result for the actual string that i wanted and and there were just all these function names with that same string in it and i i just thought i i really just want to 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 demonstrate or to tell this computer the search function that um that you know i i need this string preceded by a dot and uh and then suffixed with a uh, a quote for instance whatever it was and it turns out you can do that. There's a little option in the search, in that particular search field, like whichever one that was, to enable regex. And it, suddenly it was just so much easier. Like you could search for things, you know, like you need to. And I'm not saying that I love regex or that, that 
that that regex isn't hard because it is i mean it's it's really it's complex and then it just it's so frustrating that there's even different variations of regex and you have to kind of think well now in this regex what would happen if I put a plus sign here or a, an asterisk? Do I need to put the plus after the asterisk or should I be using a dot? And if it is a dot, what does that actually, you know, and it's just so many different little variants of, of regex or not so many. You run into a couple of different ones, um, but ultimately it's a really, really useful tool. And, and so it's really, really great. I think that, um, that you can get that into your application with this library. I mean, that's such a huge deal, I think. Not not necessarily necessary for everyone, but it is a nice feature to have in a search field if, if you're doing that. Or, or even, uh, well, yeah, there are a couple of different uses I could think of it for, but let's just go with that. Um, and and this would make it relatively simple to to include it in your application, which is great. So that's Oniguruma. Next up is OpenAL dash soft that's the audio uh, api the the quote-unquote 3d audio and by 3d of course they mean that that you have sort of a sense of space from where audio could be coming so you don't just hear a voice well yeah i guess to, to start at the top you don't just hear a voice sort of in the center of your head like we normally sort of you feel most most people all things being equal when they hear a voice uh in headphones for instance in a video game or something you just you just kind of hear it in the center of your of your head you're getting equal inputs into both of your ears it kind of balances out and it just it's just kind of in your hearing system but with 3D sound, well, with stereo, for instance, you hear a sound either in your left or your right ear, and you might hear it more in your right and less in your left, and if those happen at the same time, then you hear it as if though it is situated to your, your right, for instance. Now, if there's a little bit of a delay between that, then you hear it almost as an echo. You hear the right and then, then the left, and so and that that you perceive that generally as an echo, so you're hearing the voice coming in from the right and then bouncing back to you on the left. That's the effect. But with 3D sound, there's so much more that they can do. You can uh, position voices uh, so that it's behind you, behind your behind your head instead of sort of at the front. You, uh, you could make it sound like it's sort of way up there uh, to the right or to the left or way up there to the front, whatever. L lots of little tricks um, for... For sound design, and it's it's really cool. Um, OpenAL is a library to to make that kind of thing easy, and to ensure that that is um, that it works, that it happens as you'd expect. Because just because you position sound somewhere through clever mixing doesn't mean that it's guaranteed that just some generic system on some uh, some some operating system is going to actually be able to sort of handle the tricks that you're doing. And so like OpenGL, or as it's called now Vulkan, uh, OpenAL is essentially, um, it's a, a cross-platform 3D audio API. So you can, you can ensure that the things that, that you have coded into your sound, as it were, can be reproduced on the user's system. Because obviously on the user's system, they'll end up using, um, they'll, they'll have OpenAL installed one way or the other. I mean, you might have to bundle that with your, with your product because maybe you can't guarantee that they're going to 
to have it, but um, but but that that's pretty typical for most for most games. And um, I think I think probably maybe the the one that I would know to kind of reference here myself, although there there are quite a lot of games listed on openal.org that use this. Um, the the one that sort of that I think a lot of people would know would be Bioshock. So if you've ever played Bioshock, just try to remember like when you're in um the medical pavilion kind of that that early you know n- not not quite the f- the first place that you go to but but y- you end up there pretty early in the game and as you're creeping in you'll hear you know you hear the voices of of the um of the plasmid um what are they called the the people addicted to plasmid like the 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 baddies um you you hear them sort of in the distance uh you know and and you can you can really really get a sense for where they are as you creep around the medical pavilion trying to uh n- not be killed in the game uh th- that's the kind of thing that open al again ensures i mean you can do all of that stuff as long as you've got you know a, a, sort of a bare minimum sound system with with stereo capabilities there's a lot of tricks you can do with clever mixing uh like i say if you just the simplest trick of all where you you have a sound on the right or or the left whatever you have the sound on one side and then you delay it just a little bit and you lower it and have it happen in the in the the in the other ear just moments later but softer that sounds like an echo like that's that's a cheap and easy way to kind of do a a fake almost a reverb or really an echo because that's the effect that an echo has, right? When in real life, you hear a, um, a loud noise, and then moments later, you hear sort of that noise bouncing off of a nearby building or mountain range or something, and it hits hits you again, softer and, and echoier. So simple trick, you can do it, you can do a lot of these things. However, OpenAL, first of all, helps you figure those tricks out, and then second of all, guarantees that the the, the person playing your game or, or I, I don't know what else OpenAL would be used for, to be honest. I was going to say like maybe listening to music or something. And I guess, I mean, that would be a, a part of it. But I think I think games are the most, that's I think the most common sort of target or, or rather user base for open AL. All right, it's time to take a break. Go get a cup of coffee. I didn't start this episode with coffee, so I do need to go make myself a cup of coffee. I'll be back with coffee. You go get yourself some as well. We'll finish off the show while we finish off the coffee. <laughs> Okay, we're back. Hopefully you have coffee. I got some coffee still on the summertime blend. Nothing new to report. It's very good. And the next uh, thing, I do have listener feedback uh, from Deep Geek, but it's a long feedback. And so I think I'm just going to probably dedicate next episode to that feedback. Uh, it's it's one of those feedbacks. It's it's full of great stuff. Lots of stuff that I want to talk about. He's, he's talking about, so it makes me want to talk about stuff. So yeah, next time. In this episode, we're going to just keep going forward. 
OpenCV, Open Computer Vision Library. This is a this is kind of like if you if you know what Image Magic is, and I think you do because we covered it um, on episode something or another. Uh, let's see if I can find it really quick. Image Magic. Where did we cover that? Episode five twenty nine. It's funny. I only did I did I really only give it like one one episode embedded in a bunch of other yeah i guess i did wow 529 and i i just i just kind of breezed right past it i mean image magic is such a great great library it it, it really deserves a series of episodes on its own i mean it's just that good because there are so many components uh but it is complex i mean it, it could probably get pretty boring to hear about it all uh, over and over but anyway um, so image magic, that's a great command to do cool things with images. And open computer vision is sort of the 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 library slash you could almost think of it as an API doing that kind of thing. It has it, I didn't mean to imply as I was speaking, I realized I'm I'm implying this, that there's some kind of relationship between OpenCV and image magic. There is none that I'm aware of. Um I'm just saying, if you're programming, I mean, certainly Image Magic has libraries and 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 APIs and and things like that for various languages. You see a lot of it, I think, with PHP. Um, but but OpenCV is 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 a different project that deals with images. And if you think about some of the things it can do, it does some things that you would have done maybe on a command as a command with Image Magic. You could also do it just in your code with OpenCV, but you could do a lot more than that as well. You can combine images, you can uh, track images, you can um, create images from nothing, you can do uh, facial recognition. I've seen some amazing things uh, being done with OpenCV. Nothing I'm allowed to talk about because it was at a company that I used to work for that did that sort of thing, and it was a research and development division, so they were doing all kinds of cool stuff that I don't know, you know, I I don't work there anymore. I don't know whether it ever actually got released and or whatever. So I can't talk about it, but it's it's amazing stuff and it's open CV. Now, you can get a shocking amount of training on OpenCV from OpenCV.org itself. Their documentation, second to none. I mean, they've got tutorials and example codes in C++, Java, and Python. And, and, and you've got OpenCV already installed on Slackware, so you don't even have to go through the very, very first step, which is installing OpenCV. You've already got that. So you can do other you can do other things. You can um, learn about the basic uh, the basic sort of image uh, you know the the image container the, the uh, uh, which is called a mat m a t uh, and once you have that of course you can load another image and blend them or or analyze that image and and spit out some output and so on. So yeah, there's there's lots of cool things you can do with OpenCV, but you don't have to like. You don't have to discover it all on your own. You can you can get a guided tour, and it's really, really good documentation. Just go to opencv.org. You'll find all kinds of information about it. It's it's amazing. Uh, sort of on the same kind of path here is OpenEXR. Now, again, I, I, I'm not implying that it's related at all to OpenCV or to OpenAL. I'm just recognizing, or, or OpenCL. I'm just recognizing that, interestingly, in this O section, we seem to be getting, like, kind of a lot of the things that I used to see 
nonstop in my old jobs in multimedia uh, companies. So OpenEXR is an image format. It's just like a normal image format, um, you know, like a PNG or a JPEG or a TIFF or, you know, a WebP, like name your favorite your your favorite thing to, to post uh, your family photos, uh, to save your family photos as, that's what OpenEXR is. It is a specification and reference uh, implementation of the EXR file format, and that is exclusively meant for image storage, and it was developed specifically for motion picture companies, for, for the motion picture industry. It was developed by a uh, little company called Image Light and Magic. Don't know if you've ever heard of it. Sometimes called ILM. Maybe it's come across your your news feed once in a while if you ever watch a movie. Um, kind of a big famous VFX company. They they developed OpenEXR or rather EXR, and then they opened the 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 format itself as as open source code. And I think the I don't know. I wasn't. <laughs> I, I've never worked for ILM. I was not in the room when these decisions were being made. But I'm. I'm imagining that they did that because they wanted to be able to work with other companies and have those other companies also be using that same image format. Because in the movie industry, that's really, really common. It wasn't common at first. Like back when ILM was first sort of on the scene, like they were kind of the only place around. I mean, they were the only, not literally, but I mean, they were the effects house, right? They were, they were it. But eventually, ILM grew and the whole idea of, hey, we can do fancy things with computers in film, because obviously ILM originally wasn't even doing that much with computers. You know, they were just doing the models for Star Wars and stuff, like the model building uh, and and the special photography to make uh, explosions look like they were happening in zero gravity or, or, I guess, look spectacular enough to make it look like it's really cool. I don't know how an explosion would actually occur in zero gravity. I've never seen it. Um... But they they eventually turned their their attention to computing, and so did other companies. And so then movies started relying on visual effects, and it came out. It, it kind of became apparent that not just one company could do all of the effects for a for a lot of a, you know a, for a big motion picture that needed a lot of effects done. They're just literally it just it became a bottleneck. Like if if you want us to do every almost every shot of this movie needs an effect and you know even if we we would have to hire like people who knew how to do this way more people than knew how to do that and then what would they do after your movie because other movies aren't going to need that same amount you know so basically lots of different effects houses sprang up and any one movie these days will be worked on by three five seven i want to say ten but i mean that sounds like a lot but quite a few different visual effects places will have worked on a movie and they're not all credited by the way uh some sometimes you'll get you'll get work on something where you know it's maybe it's just something really simple um wire removal or something like that and and you don't you don't get that company doesn't get credit you just get the money and you you, you develop the relationship but you don't get the credit because they the, you know like credits go on for a while so and and you're only each comp you know each company is only allotted so many credits essentially and and sometimes you're just so low on the on the chain of effects houses that you just don't get the credit so anyway you don't get any slots in the credit um 
So OpenEXR, like if if you're going to have a movie and have five different companies doing shots of the movie, then you need, well, it is highly, highly convenient for them all to be using the same platform because that way they can, you can, you can share files back and forth without, without the blink of an eye. And that's part of what OpenEXR does. Not just the fact that OpenEXR exists. That's helpful because then again, it's just, you just send someone a .exr file and that's it. Like, done. Like, that is all you need. That's, it's, it's, they can open it in their application and everything is the same. But, and that's, that's handy. But even more important than that is OpenEXR retains, I mean, it's, it's a big image format. It is, it, it has a, it has a lot of room for a lot of data. So when you send, when you, when you've designed a shot, when you've come up with all of these fancy things that you're doing for visual effects and you save it out to EXR, you're not losing, you know, you're not, I mean, you, you may be compressing something uh, losslessly, but you're doing a lossy export or a save rather of EXR and you get all of the information. You've got your, all the floating bits and all the floating point, uh, color depth, and you've got the, um, the color space. That's what I'm searching for in my head. Uh, lots of information there. Really, really high res, guaranteed from your computer to the next computer. It's it, everything is retained, and that's super important because even you know PNG and and TIFF and JPEG. A lot of times they well certainly not JPEG, but I mean a lot of those other formats just don't have the they don't they don't save the kind of data that people might want to save with an image for motion picture visual effects. OpenEXR is designed by the people doing truly some of the most cutting-edge effects. And nowadays, OpenEXR is developed by a lot of different places. It's not just ILM doing code for this. I know Sony does code for it, Disney does code for it, and probably a lot of other places. Those are the two that I happen to know about firsthand. Um, and yeah, that's OpenEXR. And and it's on, it's just on Slackware. It's just, it just comes on Slackware. It's such a nice, it's such a nice addition. This has got to be one of my favorite things. Not because I use it all that often. It's more like it's just, it's just such a, a beautiful relief to know that it's there. If, if, if you ever go into visual effects, you'll be able to have a shot on your computer and you'll just be able to open it up. You don't have to go hunt down OpenEXR libraries or anything like that. It's just, it's just going to open for you. It's just so cool. It's really nice. So that's OpenEXR. It is already there on your computer. Followed by OpenJPEG. What is that? It's the uh, image compression format that we all know and probably don't really love, frankly. I don't know how many people really love a JPEG. But luckily there's that uh, WebP format that we talked about, right? Did we talk about that? I feel like we talked about that at one point. Uh, maybe we didn't. But um, there is a WebP format. It's it's uh, even smaller than JPEGs usually. It's a great format. You should use it if you're not using it. Next up is Opus. Opus is a uh, format that has continuously amazed me. Like, it is just such a nice format for audio. And if you've been listening to this show for a long time, then you'll remember that there used to be a Speaks, S-P-E-E-X, feed 
for this show. I used to release in Speaks, in addition to Aug. And the reason I did that was because Speaks was infamously, maybe, uh, really, really small, highly compressed. Uh, it was apparently fine-tuned for, as its name does kind of imply, speech. That's what it was tuned for. Um, I never actually, I don't think I ever bothered, like, cutting out, no, I did. I, I cut out the music for a while for, for the Speaks export, I think. Um, Anyway, Speaks was is designed for speech, so it, it really drops a lot of the frequencies. You'll recall in the episode where I was talking about how music uh, compression is done by this algorithm that's kind of like the perceptual audio, kind of like what you what you what you're hearing and what you're actually focusing on. It, it can optimize like what actually is important. Um, Speaks doesn't do any of that. It's just like I'm going to treat everything like speech. Oh, disclaimer for this explanation. I've not read the source code in depth, so I could be I could be making generalizations here. Let's just say for argument's sake, speaks essentially basically sort of unconfirmedly um it basically ignores all that kind of perceptual thing and just says this is I'm going to assume you're feeding me speech and I am going to compress it within you know down to the human the typical human uh frequency range and and that's what's going to happen and that is what ha- what happens and it, it it is really really small it produces amazingly small files but as it turns out computing has progressed and there is this this alternate format called Opus, and it it reaches sometimes lower than speaks uh, file sizes. And it is is an open source, completely completely free to use codec for audio. And it is just amazing. It it apparently was, um, it kind of sort of emerged from the uh, Kelt, C-E-L-T codec, combined with uh, Skype's Silk codec, which I know nothing about, never heard of before. But that's kind of the, I guess, the the lineage of Opus. So it, it's got some pretty interesting sort of origins, um, and and it's it's really really effective because it doesn't. It, it doesn't only do speech. It, it can do all kinds of, th- of things. I mean, I've encoded music to Opus before, and I've been perfectly happy. Don't know if i do that with, like, you know, all-time favorite albums, that kind of thing. But, but in terms of just random stuff that I find on the internet, for whatever reason, want to compress it down to Opus, I've done that several times. I, I usually compress uh, audiobooks down to Opus as well, because a lot of times they'll come as, like, MP3s or something like that. Uh, so I'll, I'll frequently... Comp- not all the time. Like, sometimes sometimes the, the books, as they are, the, as they come, they've been so well compressed that, that, I mean, you can sit there and spend your time trying to recompress it down even more, but, you know, it, you have to kind of balance, like, how much effort you want to put into that, especially for, like, an audiobook that you're going to listen to once, probably, and then kind of stash on a hard drive and never listen to again. I shouldn't say never, but you're not, you're not going to listen to it again for, for a while. But, but Opus can do everything from just, yeah, speech to, to really, really great music, uh, or really great sounding music. I don't the quality of the music composition itself is, is probably subjective. Um, so yeah, it does bit rates from like six kilobytes a second to 510 kilobytes per second. This is just from their website. Sampling rates from eight kilohertz, that's narrow band, to 48 kilohertz. 
so that's DVD quality, commonly called. Uh, frame sizes from 2.5 milliseconds to 60 milliseconds. Uh, support for constant bitrate and variable bitrate. That's hugely important because, I mean, the constant bitrate, you're basically guaranteeing a, a very specific file size because the bitrate is constant. You can just do math and figure out, well, if I do the bitrate at this at this rate for this long, for this length of time, this is how many kilobytes I'm going to accumulate from the start to the finish. Whereas variable bitrate actually adjusts the bitrate as the thing is, um, you know, it's encoded such that the bitrate is adjusted. And then that way on, on those moments of silence or the moments of very complex sound, it can either dial the bitrate way, way down for the silence or, or way, way up for that complex uh, full sound. Uh, so I think that's probably a probably a big part of its success, I would imagine. I mean, constant bitrate, variable bitrate, that the difference between those two is just so huge. It's it's really, really a big deal. Uh, so yeah, it does speech, music, uh, mono, stereo, floating point, fixed point, all that stuff. It's really, really good. If you've not tried Opus, um, absolutely, and, and you are in the business of uh, encoding things, absolutely give Opus a try. I avoided it for a very long time just because I, I just thought, how good can it be? It can't be that good. I've got all the codecs I need. Um, and then finally one day I just tried it and I was just blown away. It's it's absolutely an amazing, amazing codec. So give that a shot. And, and the way that you would do that is with Opus Inc. O-P-U-S-E-N-C as in encode. Um, that's the command. I don't know where that comes from though. Um, Opus Inc. Is that... Did I have to install that separately, or is that installed with this library? Let's find out. Opus-1.31. Uh, it looks like this is a bunch of documentation, include files, a library, and some man pages, and some share. So I guess I must have installed Opus... Maybe it's in Opus file. Doc include library. No, I don't know where Opus ink comes from. Um, I guess I'll have to do a find on var log packages type of uh, type f for file. Da uh, let's do a no let's do a no yeah let's do a pipe to parallel and we'll say find no uh, we'll, we'll do a grep um, opus ink opus ink in whatever is returned to us. Oh, and the grep, let's do, let's do that case insensitive. Well, let's just do that so that we list the file name. Okay, so yes, I've, I've got the results here. So that is in lib opus inc. Interesting, is that where the binary is though? Let's find out. Lib opus, I mean, if that's the case, then this must, I must have already talked about this, right? Because it's a lib. No, that's not where the command is from. I have no idea where this command is from. Oh, there it is. No, that is not it. Yeah, I have no idea where this command is. Okay, so I guess I need to specifically grep for bin slash opus inc. Okay, it is from opus dash tools. And uh, that is in var log packages opus-tools. That was, that's installed on, that's from the AP package set. Um, I should probably mention this. So if you're looking for, if you're looking to find out, as I've just done, where something is from, you can look in uh, var log packages, look at the file 
that has recorded that this thing is installed on your system. And on the one, two, three, fourth line, there's a line, uh, there's a heading, package location. And that tells you where it was installed from. In this case, it was slash USB dash stick slash Slackware 64 slash AP slash Opus dash tools dash 0.2 and so on. So if you need to do what I just did, then then this is a great way to do that. Um, and Opus Tools from the... Well, I can't talk about Opus Tools now, can I? We've already talked about it, I guess, um, because it is from the AP package set. So there you go. But anyway, Opus is a great library, um, or it's a great codec anyway, and you've got the library on your system, as we have just witnessed by seeing it in this package list. Okay, we've got one... Oh, just the one more package to go in the O's, and that is ORC. O-R-C. This is a library for compiling and executing very simple programs that operate on arrays of data. They say arrays of data. I'm not exactly sure why. This is a library from the G the G Streamer project. You can go to uh, gstreamer.freedesktop.org to learn more about that and uh, sort of about ORC, although frankly I couldn't find the ORC stuff on the website. I mean, maybe I didn't look hard enough. I mean, I found the source, the, the source directory, but I, I couldn't find like online documentation for it. But if you go, you've, you've got online documentation as it were. If you go to your, um, if you go to your var log packages and look in orc-0.4.32 whatever uh, you do see down in the user share gtk-doc that you have several html documents uh, chapters one through five it looks like about all of the different things that you can do with orc and it's quite good it's it's pretty darn good documentation and and it it demonstrates things that gstreamer would be using orc for like combine or yeah, combining, like fading from one audio stream to another. Um, I don't know, probably combining audio streams and so on. Now, why you wouldn't just use, I don't know, socks for that? Well, because again, one is user-facing and this, the ORC library, is something that you could do in a program with code. So if you were doing some kind of audio mixing or audio playback thing where you wanted to give the user the ability to fade one thing out and fade it back in, or, or fade something else in as the other fades out, a crossfade. Uh, then you could do that with ORC through GStreamer, you know, through using the GStreamer um, framework, you'd have access to ORC and you could you could allow the user to do that kind of thing. That's it. That's ORC. And that's that's it for the show. That's the O, that's all of the O's in the L software series. So I guess next time we'll probably pick up with the P's, maybe. I don't know. I should probably look. I mean, I can't imagine there wouldn't be. Yeah, okay, there are. There's like Pango and Pango MM, and Parted, and so on. So yeah, that's what we'll do. No, we won't. What am I talking about? We will, um, next time we'll talk about that listener feedback from Geek Geek, and then we'll go into the P's after that. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email, 
with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi, my email address is clatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not clatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted. Until next time, thanks for listening, and keep the source open. sophisticated sensory surveillance hardware on the market.